Hi everyone. I just have a couple of announcements before we get started. First, the Chattanooga Civics website is now live at chattanoogacivics.com. I've compiled links to all the candidate websites in one place, and I'll be updating it regularly with links to the interviews. I also have links to some more general information like how to find which council district you're in. If there's any other information you think would be helpful for me to include, please don't hesitate to reach out. Second, my wife Katie has graciously agreed to host the new Chattanooga Civics Instagram page. So you can now follow us there, at ChatCivics, that's chat with two Ts. Lastly, this podcast is mainly a labor of love. It's a public service in the hopes that I can make Chattanooga a stronger, more engaged community. But it does come with expenses. I've spent about $150 on some bare-bones recording equipment, and I would really like to upgrade that if the podcast keeps growing. So if you can spare even just a few dollars, I'd really appreciate it. I would like to thank Brandon for being my first and only donor so far. You're great. I'm currently set up on PayPal, but if another app works better for you, I'm happy to set it up. Just shoot me an email. And if you can't donate, I completely understand. Times are tough right now. But if you can share this show with your friends and get more Chattanoogans educated about local politics, that would be amazing. And if you're part of a local business that would like to sponsor the show, I would love to hear from you. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. On March 2nd, the city of Chattanooga will hold elections for city council and mayor. I recently sat down with DeAndre Anderson to discuss his campaign for city council, District 8. I'm here with DeAndre Anderson. He is running for city council in District 8. And DeAndre, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. How would you get involved in local politics? Absolutely. So I um, got involved with local politics when I was in high school. Um, I was very, very active on the superintendent student advisory council. Mm -hmm. Um, I started as just like a regular member and then I kind of worked my way up into becoming the president of the council. Um, And the president gets to sit on the school board with the school board representatives um, as they are the student representatives. So I got a chance to represent all the students in Hamilton County. um, And that's when my interest in local government kind of peaked. So I left, went off to the military. Um, I am a religious affairs specialist um, in the Army National Guard. So Mm Um, when I came home from training and kind of dived back into my community, I decided to run for school board. Um, I had an opportunity to do it, and it was something that I couldn't shake, so I felt like I needed to, so I decided to run, and that's kind of where I got my foot in the door to be in part of local politics, um, and I always told myself I wouldn't run again unless I felt <laughs> in my heart, and that, like right, it was yeah. And I think I think it's time. I think this is the moment that I needed to step up and, you know, 
get to the plate, do it. <laughs> um, we've gone through the pandemic. We're still in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, we had the tornadoes that affected us back in March or April for Easter. And then the Black Lives Matter movement this summer. Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot going on and I felt like we didn't have the, election, the support from some of the elected of officials. So I thought it was time for a representative that was going to put the people first. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I'm here. That's, this is, this is what got me here. Great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your district in particular? What do you see as the main issues facing your district? And what do you see as the main strengths of your district that you can kind of capitalize on? Yeah, so some of the issues from my district based off of the phone calls and the door knocking that I've been um, doing over the past few months have been our homeless population. Mm -hmm. It's something that a lot of our constituents have been very concerned about. Um, housing, just having more affordable and equitable housing, but also not affecting their neighborhoods, um, you know, with the gentrification, the uh, rentals, like just so much that our citizens in my district have been concerned about. And then lastly, it's something that I'm surprised haven't been talked about as much. I think it's just because people have wavering uh, thoughts, but community safety, uh, keeping our community safe. And that that's from, you know, holding the police department accountable to thefts, making sure that people are not breaking into cars and breaking into homes. So it's something, mm -hmm. it's, it's those three things is what I'm constantly hearing. And then moving on, uh, you know, as part of the city council, you'll be making decisions, not just for your district, but for the city as a whole, you'll be part of that broader team. So what do you, what's your kind of broader vision for the city? What are the city's strengths and weaknesses and what do you hope to achieve for the city as a whole? I think one of the city's strengths is that we're growing. We're, um, there's a lot of development that's happening, which means more people, more attraction. Uh, and I think that's something that Chattanooga doesn't have a hard time about. I think that we're starting to get this new reputation of being an outdoor city. Mm -hmm. um, we're starting to have just a different, a cultural shift almost. Um, mm -hmm. But it's going to take a leadership that's going to be able to put up with that, be able to um, cause equitable changes, to be able to fit and cater to the whole of our city. Um, right. So I think that's kind of where we're lacking, because I don't think Chattanooga has a problem with getting um, opportunities, uh, businesses, developers to come here. The problem is we, we, we can't keep it. We don't keep it sustainable. So it's just going to take a strong leadership team that's going to be able to look at the big picture and work together um, to move forward, especially with where we are now with the pandemic. Right. So you mentioned that outdoor aspect. Uh, you know, that's something I've, I've been bringing up in a lot of these interviews. We've been named number one city by Outdoor Magazine twice now. Uh, you know, people are coming here for the outdoors. People are coming here for, for the tech jobs and, and things like that. Uh, but to, talking about the outdoors in particular, what are your thoughts on that new reputation? How do we manage that growth? And also how do we make sure that those outdoor resources are equitable? You know, how do we make sure that people who have not historically been able to enjoy these resources get involved with that community? Absolutely, Chattanooga has a beautiful outdoor oasis. I mean, a lot of people love it and we see more and more people coming here to explore the outdoors every year, which is fantastic for our economy and our tourism. However, I definitely think we do need to be more proactive and embrace the new reputation that we're having, but we need to do it in an equitable manner. So being able to, you know, have the short-term rentals, they're becoming more popular, the Airbnbs and things in that nature. And moving forward, 
I think we need to make sure that we are supporting our visitors, but not disenfranchising our citizens. So we, we just also as a city have to make sure, especially as a city council candidate, or if elected, that we are starting to take the environmental vitalization seriously, um, pushing more green initiatives, um, protecting our outdoor spaces so that we have a beautiful quote unquote backyard to attend right. um, and explore to share for many more other generations, um, I think is important. And with the outdoor scene for Chattanooga, it also opens so many doors for to build on small businesses and to retain local talent. Um, so I think as the outdoor industry grow, we have opportunities to see the economic development and jobs, mm-hmm. or do you get the young people start it at an early age, especially our black and brown young people? Because I think that there's opportunities in this industry. It's a vocational trade. Um, and to train them at such a young age to kind of utilize this opportunity, it can give back to rewarding careers involving this right. industry that is growing. And then part of that, you mentioned this a couple different times, uh, just managing that growth from a, from a real estate standpoint, really, a, a development standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are worried about overdevelopment and, you know, maybe we're not being stringent enough with water quality or uh, steep slope regulations is a big thing that's been bouncing around or even just, you know, something as basic as just the prices. I mean, people are being priced out of their neighborhoods and their homes. And then on the other hand, some people are worried that we're not doing enough or that we're doing too much regulation and that that's keeping people from building enough to keep up with demand. And I'm just wondering, where do you stand on that? The city council is particularly influential in this respect since they control the zoning code and the short-term rentals. That's all directly by the city council. So what's kind of your take on that and how are you gonna manage development? Yeah, so my take on that is that I would love for us to be able to start using the revitalization of our city, because I think that there there are prime opportunities for us to be able to develop, to be able to um, have affordable and quality housing without having like an outsider developer come in and turn a house that might might cost $100,000 into $350,000. Because then it usually either sits there and collects dust, or no one can afford it, or it turns into like a a rental property. And again, that's fine. Having Airbnbs, I don't think it's the end all be all, especially with a city that is so popular with tourism. Um, But I definitely think that we have to find that balance because if we're going to cater to the tourism we're going to start forgetting our citizens that live here and that pour into our city um so i think that would be my answer for that and then part of that diving down even a little bit deeper into this development issue is gentrification um you know there's a lot of different ways to define it the way i look at it is people being pushed out of their own neighborhoods people not having the the capital to to be able to take advantage of growth you know some people say that it's it's growth in general can be gentrification but there's a bunch of different ways to define it um we are seeing an influx of out-of-state investors coming in like you said buying up properties flipping a house from a hundred thousand to three hundred thousand things like that uh and on top of that you've got this public market on one side and then you've got public housing on the other section eight vouchers the demand for that is far outpacing supply so what are you going to do to increase housing affordability and ensure that long-term chattanoogans are able to stay in their neighborhoods able to find a home and able to be part of the city no absolutely and that's something that 
obviously has been a concern for my constituents as we've been out on the campaign trail. Um, so this week on the campaign books, we have a meetings with professionals on this topic because this is something that we've realized that we have to put more attention to because this is something that is affecting our my district a lot. That's what I'm hearing from my constituents. Um, and I think it's entirely possible for us to revitalize a neighborhood without gentrifying it. I think that through supporting and building on existing communities, we we can do it, you know what I mean? And I think we know that housing st stability and building up our existing communities is what create stronger communities and that's what bring people together. Um, now, one of the things that me and my campaign team have been looking at is just similar cities that kind of reflect the model of Chattanooga and seeing what they're doing with their um, like housing issues. Um, so one city that we looked at was uh, Lexington, Kentucky, who had a success through creating community solution, creative community solutions, sorry about that. Um, and the pathway is security that involves working with policy and developers to create opportunities for the community to be improved through rentals and security and rental places. Um, so I have ideas to be able to workshop through students to partnership with schools that will empower them to be able to know what home ownership is. I feel like I've had good education, but I think if you ask me, Nathan, like how do you own a home or what steps do you have to take, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I don't I didn't have that education opportunity or my family didn't have the opportunity to be homeowners themselves. So it's like being able to start them early and helping them understand the process of buying a home and giving them the resources and tips on their journey down that path. Right. Once they get to adulthood, you know, I think it's exciting to learn what that process is going to look like. So I'm very excited to continue to meet with these professionals like nonprofits and people who are in the housing industry to be able to come up with new strategies and policies that Chattanooga can use to be able to improve it. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's kind of tangentially related to development is uh, transportation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of conversation right now that, you know, as an outdoor oriented city, people are wondering, should we spend more money on bike lanes and sidewalks, or do we need to spend more money on highways and, you know, kind of through streets that take a lot of traffic. Um, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. There's no way to make everybody happy. I don't think, and so I'm just wondering, what is your outlook on transportation? How do we manage not just our roads and our sidewalks and our bike lanes, but how do we manage public transportation? So if you could speak on that for a little bit. No, absolutely, absolutely. So I think for one, as our city is growing, like we've already discussed the new reputation of this outdoor city, you do have more people outdoors and doing things outdoors. So bicycling and sidewalks, that is essential and that is important. And I read somewhere about equitable um, transportation for a more robust system. We talked about the New York bike thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's something, there's some kind of, um, income qualification that you would have to show the city for you to get a $5 pass for your bus pass back in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and you can bus or bike with that $5 pass throughout the city, but it was only for the low income and for those who just couldn't afford it. So that's something that I think will be super equitable in Chattanooga as we are kind of a melting pot with different economic statuses. But I think allowing citizens to have the access to transit foundation of economic growth. Like I think that's what's gonna help us grow economically. And I right. think if 
I think if elected, I vow to fight for the access to have affordable and safe options for our city citizens to have in order to access their jobs and any other resources that could potentially help their life. So like being able to get to workshops or work certification. Mm -hmm. um, I think this will help strengthen the diverse options of our transportation and allow us to move more of a progressive place of having maybe a, a free fare bus system. I mean, I think that's something that we can't rule out because of how our city is set up. Mm -hmm. If someone that lives downtown in my district, in District 8, um, let's just say in Fort Wood, but the only place that they can get a job is Highway 58 or Hamilton Place, how do right. they get there? Yeah. How do you know? So I think I want to continue to grow my knowledge, obviously, with the Carter Board and their directors and come up with ways to address this need. But I definitely think that this will help in other aspects of our economic growth other than development and getting people back into work. I think it will also have access for people to utilize the outdoor spaces and mm -hmm. be able to enjoy that. Um, so I think it's kind of complex in a way, but I think there are systems that are working for cities like Chattanooga and we just have to be willing to make that risk. Great. I want to switch gears a little bit and, and start talking about the, a series of questions kind of surrounding the budget. And so the, the mayor is the one who leads the budget writing process in its current form. It involves more than six months of preparation. Uh, they've already started writing the budget for this next year back in November. So that process is already on a roll and there's a lot that goes into it. The city council has the right to amend or even just outright reject the mayor's budget proposal. But in the past, it seems like the council has been reluctant to use that authority. Uh, and that they've deferred to the process. And there's a lot of arguments for and against that and why that might be the case. Do you think the city council should exercise more authority over the budget or do you think they should defer to the, the public input process that's been in place and, and that the new mayor might put in place? Yes, um, I think the process is not entirely broken. Um, I like the process actually. I think that it's I think that having to hear from our constituents and letting their voices be heard is always important. I think it's an excellent idea. However, I think as a council, we should hold our mayor more accountable and be able to look at things like, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic. What funding are we gonna do to help our small businesses, to help our community, to, to be able to support them and not intervene in a way, but in a way that you're gonna be able to support. Cause I don't feel like anybody asked for this. So it was one of those things right. where I feel like in a case by case that can happen. Um, and I think we've been what, 10 months into this pandemic. I do believe that there are areas that we can and cannot cut from. Um, areas that maybe need more funding that we've realized in the middle of this pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, for example, we've had some very long city council meetings over the summer where a tremendous amount of citizens have called in and voiced their concerns about the budget. And I'm in agreement of the community input with the budget. I think that that's something that we need to do, have each council member select people from our district and represent on the board. Because I don't think there's any wrong to have a um, community of constituents from our district to oversee the budget process and see what's going on. Because I think the problem is, by the time it gets to the city council to vote on it, there's not a lot of time to go out and gather change and talk to people and see, you know, hey, is this okay through our community? So I think right. if we're part of it from the very beginning and we, you know, walk 
through with us of this, by the time it gets to the city council, the council can vote and advocate for their constituents because they know that this is what they need or this is what they're wanting to see. Mm -hmm. And diving into some more specific issues, uh, you mentioned this in your intro, talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and the marches that we had over the summer. Um, and that is kind of what brought on a lot of people's interest in the budget. We had that meeting over the summer where we had over 200 people call into a city council meeting expressing their concern that $70 million is being spent on our police department. Um, and, and there's obviously, there are a lot of different ideas about how to improve policing, how to make policing more equitable. And they're all over the place. You can't do all of them because they're, you know, some people want to spend more money for better training. Some people want to divest and reinvest. There's all sorts of different ideas. And so I'm wondering what plans do you have to address policing in particular and, and making sure that all Chattanoogans feel safe? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it's kind of a 50-50. I definitely think the training could be better and we can put more funding towards that to mm -hmm. see growth. But I also think that it's, a, it's like a multifold solution. I think that research has shown that the best way to strengthen a community and reduce the crime is to invest into the community. Um, so I think looking at our budget through like, like a positive lens and a lens of let's strengthen our uh, community instead of like a punitive and a negative reaction, mm -hmm. I think the long-term and sustainable way to create a safer city, not for just us, but for our future generations is just investing back into our community and looking at ways that we can hold the police department accountable. Um, and I think one of those things is having open and honest conversations with the law enforcement and with the community members and letting their voices be heard. And I think that that requires for better training for the uh, police officers, accountability for them, policy reform, um, and creating collaborative relationships that allows our law enforcement officers to have community servants with them. So whether that's therapy, um, social workers, educators, you know, the list can go on and on. I think that will help our law enforcement officers have a more holistic and empathetic approach to practices regarding to our community. Mm -hmm. And then a related issue is, is the fire department. Um, there's been a lot of conversations lately about how the fire department, if you look at their salaries, they're all paid on salary, but if you look at the number of hours they work, some of them are making like $10 an hour, which is below federal poverty rate. And it's, it's becoming a real issue in terms of retention. We're having firefighters leave for Georgia or for Memphis or for cities where they're, they're paid better. Um, the fire chief at a recent city council meeting said it's going to cost another three and a half million dollars. Um, what, what's your stance on that in terms of, you know, there's all, like I said earlier, the mayor kind of leads that budget writing process, but if it comes down to the city council, where do you stand on that? Yes, I definitely think that with the work that they do and putting their lives first, that we definitely should be paying them more than $10 an hour. They do put more, they do put a lot of hours in and they do risk their lives on a daily basis. So why aren't we paying them more? Because I'm sure they go to other places like Nashville, Atlanta, other surrounding cities, they could probably get more money and, you know, sustain their lifestyles better. And that's something that, you know, is a key issue for us in my campaign team is talent retainment. We have a lot of local talent, local creatives and innovators here in Chattanooga that we can come up with a creative 
and innovative solution. So why aren't we? You know, no one should have to work two full-time jobs to take care of their families. So for me, I would always vote for them to be able to um, get the increasements that they need through their salaries and just hopes that they will do, you know, do more of a job. Because it's one of those things where it's like, if your workers don't feel appreciated, they're not going to give 100% of an effort. And if they're five fires, we would love to know that they're giving 100% effort. But if they're not able to sustain their lifestyle, take care of their families, they're working two different jobs to be able to make ends meet. I can't expect them to give the all that they can. So I think it's kind of one of those things where we take that chance, we, we, we support them, we give them more uh, funding to be able to get more out of them and to see more um, productivity. But I agree, if I was making $10 an hour for the work that they're doing, I think I'll be very upset too. And then um, talking about another big issue, it's already come up a couple times, COVID obviously, hopefully the vaccine by the time the election rolls around has kind of gotten us to a place where we're not as worried about the virus itself by the time a new city council takes office. But I think there's going to be a big economic fallout from all this. We are already seeing small businesses struggling. We're seeing people struggling with evictions and homelessness. Um, and, you know, many people have either lost their jobs or they've had their hours cut. So what do you think the city council can do to mitigate those economic impacts of COVID? Absolutely. Um, I think the pandemic is something that none of us has ever, we haven't experienced this in our lifetime. And it's new to us. And I think COVID-19 creates so many complex questions that you can't give an easy answer to it. Because I think that's, everyone's looking for that answer. How can we mm -hmm. fix it? How we, can we get out of this? And you know, the city council does not write policy based off the COVID-19 response. Um, however, I feel like as a city council person, if elected, I will be responsible for making sure that the impact of this pandemic in my community is being represented and being voiced. Um, I think that we have to make sure we're advocating for our community members. While I want to get the ec economy back on track, don't get me wrong, I want to make sure that we don't see our cases rising. I don't right. want any more families to have to grieve loss due to COVID-19. So it was one of those things where it's like, I would love to go back to the drawing board at, as a council and figure out exactly the right way. We, can we work with policymakers around the COVID response to find a better path to move forward? And I do think that, you know, Chattanooga, again, have creative and innovative people that together we can create a solution that's that's going to work for all of us in uh, Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. And another thing for me is I think we need to make sure that we're prioritizing those who are working in response to COVID-19. So we're, you know, taking their input, listening to the professionals, and being able to find ways to um, show resources. So helping each other out with housing security, making sure that we can um, stay working. And how can we do that? How can, as a council, mm -hmm. we continue to support um, our businesses and keeping people in work right now um, mm -hmm. if we're not able to help financially, you know? Right. Um, another issue, and, and it's hopefully won't be, but there's a good chance that it might be exacerbated by COVID and this economic fallout, but, but homelessness is a big issue in the city. I know you, you mentioned it earlier. What do you think the city council can do to alleviate homelessness, to improve not just conditions for the currently homeless, but to, to keep people out of homelessness or to reduce the amount of time that they might be homeless? 
Now for, yeah, so I want to work with other property owners, developers, and the city to see if there's any type of initiatives that we can put into place to allow for us to have these buildings that are affordable housing units, uh, small business locations, or anything that we can be able to add to the financial prosperities of our communities. Mm -hmm. um, I think homelessness is a complex issue and needs it needs more of a thought out and a creative solution to be able to say. But at the same time, I think we should be analyzing and addressing the social structures and supports that we have in place in order to understand where we fall short in meeting the needs of these individuals. And along those same lines, I think many of the social supports that we have in place in the city for the homeless population are not easily accessible. And our homeless or low income citizens can't access it easily because things like internet and computer access is how they can get that. So I think if as a council, if we continue to have better access to professionals that can help us navigate through the system of helping homeless populations, I think that's the first step we need to take because I think that's kind of where we don't have answers for and we don't know where to move forward. So partnering with organizations like the Salvation Army or nonprofits that we have here like Help Right There or just other organizations that have a passion of wanting to serve our homeless community. Um, so I think as a council, we have to start there. Right. And something you've brought up a lot is, is the idea of getting the community involved, getting community input. Uh, and that's something, you know, Chattanooga government has a reputation as kind of a good old boys club that we've got the same people kind of coming in and out, same people kind of funding these campaigns. And, you know, some people are, are worried about everyone having a voice. And so I'm wondering, how will you make sure that all Chattanoogans are equitably represented in the city council? Absolutely. So me and my campaign team have been trying to find avenues to stay connected with our constituents here in our district. And I think the world of COVID-19 has taught us that we can stay connected even though we're not together. So through Zoom, Google Meet, and different um, avenues that way. However, that's not equitable for all. You know, everyone doesn't have access to Zoom. Everyone doesn't have access to Google Meets. So one of the things that I have been doing as a candidate along with my campaign is I have been spending a lot of time making phone calls to people in my district. And I'm not asking them like, can you have my vote? Like, please, please. Like, no, I really want to hear the concerns that they have and what they want to see better. And these mm -hmm. conversations have guided my campaign and have guided my policies on what we're going to focus on. Because, right. you know, I'm an individual that feels like these are the concerns for our district. But when you're running to represent other constituents, you have to be able to kind of decipher through and figure out what's the common threat. What is everyone constantly talking about? So my job as a public servant is to serve the public. I intend to do right. that by regularly um, hosting listening sessions, making mm -hmm. phone calls to my district. Because mm -hmm. once I get elected, that campaign um, mentality that I have shouldn't change. I should still call my constituents weekly. I should still make sure that I'm reaching out and I'm being transparent. And I think that is something that I feel like our district has missed. I don't think a lot of people know, you know who the representative is and how they can get a, you know, in touch with the representative. So I think it's time for someone who's gonna put the people first that is approachable and that's going to walk through this journey with the community and not say, hey, get behind me and follow what I got going on. Because without the people, I wouldn't be able to be in this. 
So I want to be able to allow them to have their voices be heard. Well, great. That is actually all my question. We've gone through these really quickly. You've obviously <laughs> oh. done your homework. <laughs> but I do have one last question that I've been asking all the city council representatives. And this, I mean, who knows, this could turn into its own 20-minute conversation. I'm just wondering, is there any other issue that you're passionate about that I haven't addressed? You know, I'm always trying to make sure that my questions are reflecting what people of the city are interested in. I, I you know, I've tried to do my best to make sure these are representative of, of what everybody wants to hear about. And they are. So, um, I so that. Like, I is, is, good. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, but is, is there anything else that you're passionate about that we haven't had a chance to discuss yet? Yes. Um, one of those things for me would be education. Um, mm -hmm. I think, obviously, after speaking earlier in the podcast that I ran for school board, you know, you might wonder how from school board to city council. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, education is still super important. And it's something that will hold dearly to me because I don't think I would be where I am today without the teachers, without the faculty that has been in my life up until now. So one of the things that I have been um, doing within my city council race is putting education as a platform because I think that we do influence in a way. So being able to create other resources, workshops, like I was saying earlier about the home ownership, like we may not be able to go into the Hamilton County schools and host that, but we can host that in our city, in our districts, and allow students to come out and find different avenues, different routes that they might want to go. Because like, let's be real, college isn't for everyone, simply. Um, so we want to be able to set our students up for success from an early age, teaching them that there's different avenues that they can go down. Going straight to college after high school is the traditional way. And believe it or not, we are, times are changing. And, that's not the traditional thing anymore is to go straight to college. Um, and that's okay. We need different um, trade skill jobs like construction. Um, China was becoming an outdoor place. We need people to want to hop on that and really take it by its horns and create something out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have to be okay with letting our youth have different avenues, but not just having them, but being right. able to really take them and run with it. You know what I mean? Um, because I think we all know at a certain time that my generation, the generations after me are going to be who are in control in this country one day. And we, we got to stop them. We can't keep, hold on, let me fix my verbiage. We can't keep stopping them while they're young, because then when is it going to be their time to really take something and run with it? Mm -hmm. And that's something I love about the younger generations is because they're so involved with politics. Like you talking about a politics now makes you a cool kid. When like 10, 15 <laughs> years ago, people were like, we don't want to sit around and talk about yeah. politics. What's wrong with you? Um, so I think, you know, we, we got to start kind of opening our minds because we're being hit with things that we've never experienced before. We're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, and you never know what the younger generation, the middle generation, even the older generation, you never know what can come out of that if we don't give it a chance. So I just think that like education is a platform that I wanted to add um, because I wanted to, to show that there is longevity that can come from a yeah. city council seat or even from a school board seat. You just gotta have to open your mind and be kind of open to it, you know? And I think it's always a risk to do something new and try something new, but 
in a world that's constantly changing and constantly progressing, we have to too. Um, and I think that's where we're going to see our growth. So I wonder about that a little bit, um, just because, you know, the Hamilton County School Board is is the one who's in charge of the, the Department of Education. So like these schools explicitly are, are under the county. And so I'm just wondering, do you have any concrete ideas on what form city education might take in terms, you know, is it after school programs? Is it summer camps? Is it, what, what is it going to look like? Yes, um, I think it looks like all of it. I think it does look like an after school program or it does look like a summer program. It really depends on what what we can accomplish, what workshops mm -hmm. that we can have and how can we host it. Um, because again, I definitely think there's a lot of complexity that comes behind that. Um, are we going to do it virtually? Are we going to do it in person? If we do do it in person, how can these you know students come to this workshop? Um, so I definitely think there's some nitty gritty that we would need to figure out, but I definitely think it looks like just supporting our Hamilton County schools and just being able to host things and do things that they may not be able to do. Because there's a lot of regulations and restrictions that the schools are under, you know, for safety and for the health right now. Um, so I think that it's going to have to turn into kind of opening our minds and figuring out what that looks like and how we can orchestrate it. Because I think it helps. And from the city council perspective as well, is really supporting our early childhood educators. You know, um, being able to hear them out, give, not give, but allow them to connect with resources that might help them if we don't have any. Let's create some, let's be collaborative, let's work with other, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Other professionals or other organizations that could support us in this time of educa early education and even higher education um that's something i'm really about i love collaboration and i love being able to compromise and um, work through things and i think that's a beautiful thing asking clarifying mm -hmm. questions um i think for me my next four years if elected building up our community i hear a lot of people say oh you just froze for a minute there oh what part I lost you? you I lost you at the next four years if elected to city council. Okay, um, the next four years if elected to city council, I I really want to be about growing the community together and being unified because I think no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, we are all tired of hate. We are all ready to move forward, and mm -hmm. we're all ready to get this situation of the pandemic under control. And I yeah. do think a, a sense of that will be bringing people together. Um, and with my military experience, with me working, you know, I, I'm graduating this year with a major in theater. Um, and then just all my other experiences of working with different people, I think that I can collaborate and I can and see the big picture in a way that I'm like, you know what? I never thought of that. Like, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, again, asking those clarifying questions. Like, so what does this look like? Or how can this benefit, you know, our district? You know, things like that. Because I think that's where growth happens. And I think that's where we're going to see the potential turn into reality because we're starting to work through those things and communicate and, you know, all those things that all jumble together. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Uh, Dondre Anderson, I want to thank you for your time. If you want to tell people where they can find you. Absolutely. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram 
at VoteDeAndre, and my website is also called VoteDeAndre.com. Great. Thank you very much. I thank you very much for your time, and good luck in March. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.